This week on Wealth Track, Stratega's chief investment strategist Jason Trenert on the health of the economy and markets heading into the elections. By any normal standard, this would be a very deep recession. So it's it is a very difficult line to walk for public policymakers because the the costs of the lockdown, economically and and also socially, I think are quite large. What could change is our focus this week on Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. This week on Wealth Track, Stratega's chief investment strategist Jason Trenert on the health of the economy and markets heading into the elections. What could change is next on Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. One of the most striking financial characteristics of the pandemic experience has been the seeming disconnect between the economy and the stock market. The economy was severely damaged by the lockdown of business and sheltering-in-place policies put in effect earlier this year. GDP growth fell 5% in the first three months of this year, then plummeted 31.4% in the second quarter. Strategus Research is forecasting a sharp rebound in the third quarter and more modest gains in the final three months of the year. Unemployment, which had fallen to 3.5% last year, the lowest level since 1969, skyrocketed with the lockdowns, reaching 14.7% in April. That's a level not seen since the Great Depression. Since then, it's fallen to a still elevated 7.9% in September, the last report before the election. Meanwhile, the stock market, which suffered a big decline in February and March, has rebounded from its March 23rd low and has gained some momentum and broader participation from some previously lagging sectors. Well, how sound are the economy and markets going into the election? What could change? 
Joining us is Jason Trennert, co-founder, chairman, and chief executive officer of Strategus, a leading provider of economic, market, and policy research. Strategus has been voted a top macro research provider by institutional investors for several years in a row. It also provides asset management in separate accounts for institutions and high net worth individuals. Trenard has been a WealthTrack guest since our launch in 2005, and Strategus is currently a WealthTrack sponsor. I asked Trenard to start our conversation with a state of the economy report. How solid is the recovery? Well, I I still think it's a little fragile. I, the the good news is that we've we've come back a lot from where we were in March and April, but we're still about 10 million jobs shy of uh, where we were in February. And so um, I think the fiscal stimulus that people are talking about is is very much in the must-have as opposed to nice-to-have, especially if we're going to continue to keep uh, a good part of the economy locked down. So the recovery then you, you still think is very dependent upon the fiscal stimulus packages that we've seen? I think so. I, I think. Well, and uh, why is that? Well, because the, the economy is still, big parts of the economy are still locked down. I, I think the best stimulus uh, would be to open up the economy fully. And, right. and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but that would be by far the best stimulus. If you can't do that, if, if um, our public policymakers don't think that's a wise thing to do, you're going to have to uh, have more fiscal stimulus because a big part of the economy, a big part of employment, uh, is small businesses. It's about 26% of total employment. About 37 million people work for companies of less than 100 people. And, and those are the companies that don't have access to the capital markets. They're much more dependent upon bank loans and therefore are much more fragile. So we, we've seen this unprecedented fiscal stimulus so far, and we've also seen, obviously, and everybody's using the word unprecedented, <laughs> but um, that, that um, you know, the fiscal stimulus and the monetary stimulus as well, and, and I, you've described it in notes to clients that it really is income replacement. Uh, it's not uh, investment. So how important is that uh, difference? Well, it's, it's important to the extent to which once the income replacement dries up, um, you're going to need something to replace it. So that's either going to be a job for the people that are still out of work, uh, or it's going to be another check from, from the government. But it's, it's hard to have it both ways. Uh, the unemployment rate is still just shy of 8% uh, right now, uh, which is uh, quite high, uh, obviously. Right. Uh, and uh, it's a lot better than where we were in, in April. But uh, by any normal standard, this would be a very deep recession. So it's um, it is a very difficult uh, line to walk for public policymakers because the, the costs of the lockdown economically and, and also socially, I think, are quite large. Um, the, the benefits of keeping people safe are obvious. But I think as time goes on, people are going to have to balance the costs and the benefits um, of the lockdowns. You know, it's so interesting that you're kind of tempering our enthusiasm because you know, I read research from a lot of your competitors and everybody is kind of raving about these v, this V-shaped recovery. And they're, you know, they're saying in GDP, in unemployment, um, in housing, for instance, um, they're looking globally at what's going on in China. The feeling seems to be that perhaps, you know, it's more self-sustaining now um, you're saying you don't think it is self-sustaining, again, without some uh, massive government help. 
Yeah, the, the budget deficit as a percentage of GDP this year will be about 16%. And, and just to give the, the average uh, budget deficit since 1929 in the U.S. has been 3%. Wow. Uh, we, we haven't run deficits this large since World War II. Um, so it, it's hard to say it's self-sustaining given just the amount of stimulus that's been dropped into the economy, both fiscal and monetary. Um, I, again, um, not to sound corny about it, it's a remarkable what the U.S. economy has been able to do with the stimulus that it's been given. Uh, it is The U.S. is remarkably resilient. We had a high savings rate going into this. There, there are a lot of positives. But I also think you have to be realistic. We, the budget deficit last year was $3 trillion. Uh, we thought it was going to be a trillion dollars. And so all of that largely just went to spending. And unless you can get people back to work, there's going to have to be some income that replaces that. Are there areas where you, you are seeing investment? The, the hard part is that the places where you're seeing the most investment are places that don't necessarily hire a lot of workers, right? So technology is a perfect example where it's roughly, it's more than 25% of the S&P 500 of the index, uh, right. but it's, it's a smaller part of the overall uh, economy in terms of employment. And so you're seeing a lot of investment there by, by companies, uh, but it still leaves you a big hole, particularly for people that might not have a college education. So that's, that's kind of where the, the, I guess the rubber meets the road, uh, is that you're seeing a lot of investment, certainly seeing a lot of investment too in healthcare um, and, and other sectors of the economy. But it, it's going to be tough for um, your tr more traditional sectors, if you will, uh, industrials, basic materials, be hard for companies in those areas to put a lot of money to work in terms of capital investment, given the uncertainty surrounding the economy and our political situation. You know, one of the things that's been very heartening that we've seen is we've seen a big uh, surge in business formation. So, you know, creative destruction at work. But isn't that encouraging that you know, businesses are going under, but there's also a kind of a record surge in new businesses being formed. Yes, I, I think that's um, and that, that's what makes, I think, some of the, the political questions very, very important is, is mm -hmm. are we going to continue uh, on that road, which is much more of a supply side road where you create incentives for people to start businesses or do you do you make it more difficult uh, for them uh, to do that? Again, I think we have to keep things in perspective. Again, the beauty of the system of free markets is that prices uh, allow you to clear the system and you have creative destruction. Um, we have, in some ways, suspended a complete clearing of, of the economic and, and financial system by all of the fiscal and monetary stimulus that we've done. So I, I, do, I don't want to get too, too optimistic about that. It's a great right. sign, but it's, it's, um, there's, there's probably more pain to come uh, for uh, particularly, again, in the smaller business part of the economy. How bad uh, is the situation for small business? It seems to be quite regional, which is to say, really, it, it's, a, uh, it's kind of a, a sliding scale between the, the extent of the lockdowns that you have uh, on the one hand and also, on the other hand, uh, getting a helping hand from uh, the federal government. Where the lockdowns are most severe Certainly, there's, uh, I think, small businesses, let's say if you take the restaurant business, the very large, well-capitalized public companies are doing extremely well uh, because they have takeout, they, they obviously have plenty of capital, they, they can, they can um, work through this period of time. The smaller business that, that doesn't necessarily have the space 
uh, or the the infrastructure to deal with that is in a much, much more difficult uh, situation. And again, it really is going to be hard for that, that smaller business in those areas really to get through this until there's a vaccine or there's a different attitude with regard to the lockdown. Right. And so, so the knockoff effects of, of that, you know, we're not seeing it reflected in the stock market, which I'll get to in a minute. Are there comparable periods where if small business is on the ropes, that it actually can, you know, kind of take down the entire economy or slow it sufficiently so that it shows up in the GDP numbers? Well, I, there's nothing. There's never been anything quite like this. I, I cannot think of a period where public policymakers are largely encouraging people not to engage in commerce. Um, so, it, you know, that is different. I, I, I'm not sure the small businesses are probably large enough to pull the entire economy into recession, uh, but it could keep it. It could keep it more slowly moving uh, for quite some time, and it could also exacerbate some social issues in terms of income inequality. Uh, and other uh, questions that clearly have been on people's minds. So it, it's it's a serious issue. So going into the election, I, I know that you and your team at Strategas have definitely looked at the plans of both candidates. Is is there a big difference in the plans between the two candidates as far as more fiscal stimulus, more help for uh, for workers? I I think the market is is anticipating that if. Uh, Vice President Biden were to win, they'll get more uh, fiscal stimulus uh, at the margin. I what I don't think is being priced in is that if there was a blue wave, for instance, if if the Democrats were to take control of both the Senate and the House along with getting the presidency, there would also be a big increase in taxes and and not just on incomes above four hundred thousand. It would be on capital gains. It would be on dividends. It would be on corporate profits. Uh, it would be on estates. So you're looking at very wide-ranging tax increases, which, in my opinion, is a difficult argument to make, uh, given the fact that the unemployment rate is still quite high. So I, I'm not quite sure that scenario is priced into current stock prices. The big story has been, um, ever since this pandemic struck, has been the dis- seeming disconnect between stock market performance, which has been fantastic, and what's going on in the economy. How do you explain that disconnect? And, and is it, in fact, uh, is, is the stock market tone deaf? <laughs> well, no, I think the stock market is responding uh, to the fact that interest rates are zero. And so interest rates are largely like the gravity of uh, price earnings multiples. And now that you have interest rates at zero, um, in some ways, it's not surprising that uh, investors are paying for growth at any price. Um, so any, right. any company that has any sort of growth prospects, it's being bid up because there are so few other alternatives uh, for both the retail investor, the average investor, as, as well as the institutional investor that needs to provide a certain amount of return. So that, that's what's allowed growth stocks to outperform so dramatically. The S&P 500 as an index is very different than the composition of, of GDP. Uh, GDP is about 68% consumer spending. Uh, if you look at the S&P 500, uh, tech alone is about 25% of the, of the market. And then if you add healthcare, uh, you add financials, you add telecom, you're, you're close to 60% of the market. So it, it's very different to the extent to which the index is much more um, 
capital spending or, or uh, production oriented, while the economy itself is much more uh, consumer spending oriented. Are we seeing a broader rally, more breadth in the market of the kinds of companies that are participating? You are, and I think that's a good, that is a good sign, and the more of the what we call the cyclical or more value-oriented companies are starting to participate. You're seeing that in, in areas like industrials, you're seeing it in areas like basic materials, consumer discretionary. Those parts of the market are starting to do better as people are expecting that at some point in 2021, we'll have a vaccine and we'll be able to get back uh, to normal. Uh, certainly that's where I would say the value is in the value-oriented parts of the of the market. Uh, the problem, of course, is you're betting a little bit. Um, and, and if you're a long-term investor, it may be very much worth the bet. Uh, but we don't know quite when that vaccine will come and when we're going to be able to resume business as usual. Is the election going to make any difference, do you think, on the market rally, number one, and also um, the kinds of companies that are going to uh, will benefit going forward. And, and, and I, I should say Strategus, you know, has two model portfolios, one a Democratic portfolio and one a Republican portfolio. And the, the Democratic portfolio has been outperforming the Republican one uh, for several, a couple of months. Is that right? That's right. And the, the portfolios right now, it, it's interesting because the market as a whole actually would give President Trump a slight edge. Uh, which is to say, in the three months before an election, if the market's up, the incumbent wins most of the time. Uh, when you look at the internals of the market, the, the types of stocks that are outperforming are much more consistent with uh, Vice President Biden winning, right? So that would be uh, solar and green um, uh, energy stocks. It would be marijuana stocks. Uh, it would be things that are, are much more uh, kind of aligned with more government spending. On the Republican side, on the other hand, like financials and energy, uh, are suffering. Are these the kind of decisions that you would make as an investor, where you would actually, you know, switch your portfolio, what you own, into, you know, a blue or a red portfolio? Is is that something that is a wise thing to do, or is that just something that you can do as a professional, but? Uh, for for the rest of us, it's uh, just not, it's a waste of time. I don't think it's a waste of time. I, I, I think okay. this business is driven a lot by common sense, uh, a lot more than people might, might give it credit for, professionals like myself. And, you know, I, I tend to think, though, you want to have very clear signals about what, what you're going to get. And so hopefully we'll get those uh, on election night. Ho hopefully we'll have a very clear vision of what the new government will look like. Uh, the, both the presidency and Congress. Uh, until then, I wouldn't make too many moves. Uh, it may, hopefully we learn that evening, but if we don't, I, I would be very careful about changing things around too much. The differences between the two candidates on taxes and on regulation is very, very wide. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be very careful, it seems to me. I, I wouldn't be doing a lot of speculating ahead of a very clear signal of what uh, the new government looks like. What could derail uh, the economy? What are you most concerned about as far as the economy is concerned? I, and I do have to I say I have to say this and I don't want to offend anyone's politics, but I, I do think um, a blue wave and uh, a, an increase in taxes across the board, it's very, very difficult to see that as a good development for stocks. Corporate profits are, are going to be down about 20 percent for the S&P 500 this year. We calculate uh, that if all of Vice President Biden's tax increases were uh, to be enacted, 
it would cut at least another 10% off of corporate profits, off of a, a level that's already down 20%. That would be very, very difficult um, for employment and for the economy as a whole uh, going into 2021. That's what concerns me most. Divided government is okay, uh, but uh, a, blue, a blue wave would be problematic for me. So l- let me just counter that as well, because there's this adage, don't fight the Fed. Uh, we, there's a tremendous amount of stimulus, both fiscal and monetary, in the system already. We know that no matter who wins, uh, that stimulus is probably going to continue. It's such a huge wave. Uh, can't that overcome what will be legislative efforts that probably are not going to take effect right away anyhow? In the past, most of those tax increases that were passed uh, happened to be retroactive uh, to January 1st. So people, people okay. do pay them. Um, so there's that. But I also think you need, you need the participation of, of the private sector. Uh, and you, you, you want the private sector to be, feeling, uh, to be feeling confident so that they'll invest in their own companies and hire more workers. I, I think it, it would be very difficult. You, you do not want to get, I don't think either side wants to get into the habit of replacing private enterprise for to get economic growth. Eventually, you'll run out of other people's money, and it will cause other problems, which are, are not good for investors either, like inflation. Let's talk about the sectors that, that you are overweighting now. Uh, tech, healthcare, telecom, industrials, materials. Walk us through why you're overweighting those sectors. Right, well, so for, for technology, uh, telecom, and, um, and healthcare, it's really, the, it's the growth trade that we were saying before. The, the, the idea is that in an absence of, of economic growth or slow growth, um, you wanna to continue to be overweight uh, sectors that are gonna provide you with better uh, than expected uh, earnings growth. We've started to dip our toe in a little bit with industrials and basic materials, just to the extent to which we do understand at a certain point, Lord willing, in 2021, there'll be a vaccine. You're going to start to have a more normal uh, recovery uh, than the one you've seen so far. Uh, so we've started to dabble in, in, in those uh, sectors, but the, the real focus, generally speaking, is on the growthier parts of the market like tech, telecom, and healthcare. And why do you think that's gonna continue? I mean, a lot of people consider those sectors, especially tech and telecom, to be you know, pretty pricey. They're very pricey. Uh, it, it all, uh, it's a, again, uh, Consuelo, it's really a sliding scale between how much you think the economy can pick up, uh, what the policies are gonna to be to allow that to happen, uh, and whether interest rates uh, increase as a result. If interest rates uh, rise because the economy is getting stronger, in my opinion, that's very good for the, the value-oriented or the cyclically-oriented stocks. Uh, if interest rates stay low because you have s- slower growth, uh, like the way we had after the last financial crisis, it seems to me growth stocks could even get more expensive than they are now. Let's talk about the growth versus value proposition, uh, the U.S. versus international proposition. Uh, where do you think those trends are going to go? In many ways, those are largely the same trades, which is it's not perfect overlap, but U.S. As, as a rule is generally much more driven by growth stocks than, than most of the international indices, which made, are made up mainly or more, more of cyclically oriented stocks like financials, like energy, like uh, basic materials. And so in many ways, it's the same trade. And, and for that reason, uh, I would also have a bias towards the U.S. over international in the same way I have a bias 
for growth over value. Until I get a really strong sense that the um, the uh, recovery in the economy is on very sound footing and will be really self-sustainable, um, I think I'm going to continue to be have a bias towards the growth-oriented sectors. And one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. Jason, what do you think, given the uncertainty <laughs> that we are surrounded with uh, going into an election, what would you recommend that we all own some of that will survive whomever right. wins? Well, here again, this isn't that cheap, but I do think it, it will benefit in either in, in either scenario. And that's it's an ETF called PAVE, P-A-V-E, which is an infrastructure ETF. Right. Uh, and so it seems to me, given the level of unemployment that we have in this country, um, whether it's President Trump or uh, President-elect Biden, uh, it seems to me infrastructure spending is going to be a very big part of the program you're going to get more fiscal stimulus and, and infrastructure is something also you get some productivity out of it. You get an investment, if you will, as opposed to just a transfer payment. And Jason, what are you most optimistic about? Again, regardless of, um, of who wins the election, what is it that you are looking at that is, is heartening to you as far as how we're getting through this pandemic? I really do think that the the healthcare response of this country has been phenomenal. Uh, I, I think that uh, given from wh- where we started, where we are now, uh, certainly there are more cases, but the, the the morbidity of those cases is down dramatically. We're getting it looks like we're going to get a vaccine in in time that would would no one would ever think possible uh, in the past, and it's kind of remarkable how Americans have really frankly put up with a very difficult situation. Uh, and so, it, you know, in that way, um, there's a lot to be optimistic about because this will end and we will have a vaccine at some point and things will get more back to normal. So in that regard, I think Americans can feel, should feel good about themselves that we've been able to handle this. And this is, this is a body blow, but we're, we're coming back. We will leave it on that. Jason Trenner, thank you so much for joining us from Strategus. Thank you. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is own gold as a long-term portfolio diversifier. Strategist strategist Ryan Gorbinski recently analyzed how the price of gold moved relative to seven major asset classes, large cap, small cap, international and emerging market stocks, aggregate and high yield bonds, oil and the dollar over the last year and the last 10 years. Despite higher positive correlations with all but one over the last year, in other words, moving in the same direction, gold had much lower correlations with all of them over the past 10 years. And it positively shone with its negative correlation to the dollar, moving in the opposite direction in both periods. Strategus's takeaway, gold is a good long-term portfolio diversifier in general, and particularly against the dollar. As Grabinski put it, if the dollar weakens materially over the coming years, gold should continue to do well. Next week, in part two of our interview with Trenert, we will identify the powerful macro forces shaping the investment climate. In this week's extra feature, Trenert shares what he has learned from managing Strategus during the pandemic. For those of you connecting with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel, we thank you, and we really appreciate your presence with us today. Thanks for watching. Have a lovely weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.
Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. On the next Wealth Track, financial thought leader Jason Trennert on the macro theme shaping the economy and markets and how to invest with them. Strategus' chief investment strategist on the next Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. Hello, I'm Consuelo Mack. Every week on Wealth Track, we sit down with great investors and financial thought leaders to talk in depth about strategies you need to build and protect your wealth over the long term. Join us on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. <laughs> 